afternoon to those of you who are here. Uh, we have another <coughs> group of people staying at home. So we have a church on site and also the church online, those who are uh, staying at home uh, for good reasons. Uh, as for me, uh, I've not been able to come here for the main reason is that uh, Constant has not been well, as you all know, and uh, she's also diabetic, so she belongs to a very high-risk group, so I have to be extremely careful uh, out of consideration for her. Uh, I wish that I could come here every Sunday. Uh, this church was started uh, when I came here, that was 22 years ago. And my office is right there. It's, I always tell people this is like my second home. So I've not been here for some time. I really miss uh, coming to a fellowship uh, with brothers and sisters. So this afternoon is my uh, privilege to bring the word of God to you. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. But I, sh I would read verse 18, 18 uh, where Elder Hanming has preached uh, from verses 15 to 18. Uh, but I will continue from the uh, verse 19, uh, but I will read 18. I pray also, that means Paul was praying for the, for the believers in Ephesus. He was praying for the church. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Lord, we come to you this afternoon seeking you to bless us as a church that as we open your word, our hearts will be enlightened. The Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts such that we can understand the truth that is written in your word as you promise that this incomparably great power that has been demonstrated in the crucifixion and the in the in the resurrection and the exaltation of Christ lord may the church may know how to appropriate this power for the mission to which you call us lord come and be with us that your presence will bring us such joy that we exalt you that lord we will, will praise you and worship you that you are the great god who has come and blessed us with your redemption through Jesus Christ. This we pray in his name. Amen. Now, three things that Paul did in the introductory section of his letter to the church in Ephesus. If you look at, you need to have your Bible. If you look at in, in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. That is, Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. So, when you look at the, the chapter 1, you see in this introductory, introductory section of the, of the letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus, there are three things, and I believe that three, these three things we must continually do as a church. And I think individual Christian, as well as those Christians in the family, must continually do these three things. Now we see that Paul began his letter by praising God in verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And what did he praise God? He praised God because God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, I do not need to go because uh, uh, Pastor Micah uh, has expounded uh, verses 3 to 14 for several sermons. The, the amazing spiritual blessing that God has blessed us with. Um, so we must keep on praising God for the blessing. Now, there is so much to praise God for what He has blessed us. Secondly, we are told that in verse 15, Paul never stopped thanking God for the saints in Ephesus. That means when he looked at the brothers and sisters in the church of Ephesus, he, they are growing in their faith, and that their faith is expressed in their love for others, and Paul thanked God for them. So it's the same thing when we look at our church, when we look at uh, Puchong, look at CDPC overall, uh, people growing in their faith. And their faith resulted in them reaching out to others uh, in, in deeds, in, in compassionate service, and they're growing in their, in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can thank God uh, for them. So praising God, keep on thanking God for the good things that God has done and see believers growing. And thirdly, this is where we, I will be focusing today. Paul was praying for the church. In verse 16, he said, Remembering you, remembering you in my prayers. Remembering you. He was talking, uh, mentioning about the believers in Ephesus. That is collectively, they are the church. So, uh, Paul was praying for the church. Remembering you in my prayers. So, praising, thanking God, and praying. And this afternoon, uh, we are focusing on the prayer of Paul for the church. Now, what did Paul pray? Now, those of you who are online, uh, you can interact among yourselves. You can write on the chat. I think we should not lose sight of this interaction. Uh, uh, you can write on the chat, what did Paul pray? Why did, what did Paul pray for the church? What did he pray? Because when you start looking at what Paul pray, then you begin to reflect what are the things that often you pray for, for the church or for one another. What did you pray? The content of your prayer will, re will reveal a lot about what you think about the church. What do you desire the church to be? Now, no point keep complaining. Ah, the church like that, like that. Why, why do Christians keep complaining? Why don't you pray to God for the church to become that kind of church that you want the church to be? You want the church to be spiritually strong. Why don't you pray for the church? So, we're going to examine the content of Paul's prayer. What did Paul pray? What did you pray for the church? How might we do the same in our prayer for the church? Now, why is it important to pray for the church? How often you as a family, you pray for the church? How often you pray for the church? That will reveal how much the church is important to you. How important is the church to you? When I talk about church, I'm not talking about the physical building. I'm talking about you. Collectively, we are the church. The people of God, those who are in Christ Jesus, the saints, the believers, those who believe in Christ, those who are faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the church. So what do you pray for the church? We will look at the prayer for the church, verses 1, 18 to 19. Let's look at it. And Paul said that, I pray that the eyes of your faith, referring to the believers, the eyes, the, uh, uh, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know His, referring to God's, incomparably great power for us who believe. So the first thing, Paul prayed that the church, again, the church referring to you, to the people of God, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know God's incomparably great power. That means it's a prayer that God will enlighten, open our, our spiritual eyes, so to speak. 
That means he's praying that the Holy Spirit will give them the wisdom and revelation. Early on, the verses say that, uh, that they may know God. Now they say they may know the incomparably great power of God. Now, if we are not enlightened, if the church is not enlightened, if collectively we as the believers in CDPC Puchong, that we are not spiritually enlightened, then we remain ignorant. We do not know what we, God has actually promised us. We will not be aware of such great power of God that has been demonstrated in Christ Jesus for our salvation. We will be ignorant of that. The church will not be bold. We will not know that such power is available for the church to do mission or the such power for your Christian living. Such ignorance will result in the church becoming weak or anemic. The church will not be bold. We can't engage in God's work effectively and we will be anemic in our Christian living. So first thing, he prayed that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened in order that they may know God's incomparably great power. Now, Elder Hanming, in his last uh, Sunday sermon, expounded on the first two things, talking about the hope to which God has called us. What is this hope? Talking about the eternal security in Christ. You know, the hope and also the glorious inheritance in the saints. That is, uh, we are God's inheritance, or God is our inheritance. Both scripture teaches both things. So if we are God's inheritance, means we are the special possession of God. Scripture also talks about that God has adopted us as his sons and daughters. If we are the glorious inheritance in the saints, meaning that we are God's special possession, how sure are you that this will happen? Can Satan ever snatch us away from God? Take you away from God? That's why the third thing here in the prayer, Paul prayed that we may know, our hearts may be enlightened, opened up, illuminated by the Holy Spirit to know of this incredible great power of God. And therefore, we will have confidence that whatever God promises us in, the, in His redemptive work, our, our redemption of our bodies, our adoption of sonship, all this will happen. Now, so what is exactly to know? I think uh, uh, Dr. Leong has talked about the word know, both in the Old Testament, I think Elder Hameng also talked about Know is the word, the, the word know in the scripture always talk about intimate knowledge. And intimate knowledge, not just book knowledge, not just head knowledge, not just you heard about this truth, but you actually have been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. You understand this biblical truth that has come to you personally and experientially. You actually experience and know this incredible power of God in your life as a Christian and also in our life and ministry as a church we actually know the incomparable great power of God because when you know it will result in a bold living in the way we engage in the mission of God that we may truly know this incomparable great power uh, not just heard about it so there are two things huh, you need to know from these verses. Number one is that Paul's prayer uh, is for the Holy Spirit to expand our awareness of God's great power, to really know this God's great power that has been demonstrated. Later we come to that, that has been demonstrated in the resurrection of Christ and also in the ex exaltation of Christ. And then, secondly, is that you may know this God's incomparably great power is available, available for the church, available for 
us who believe, meaning for those uh, believers who believe. So the prayer, when we look at this, it is a very important prayer for the church. That you and I need to constantly pray uh, for each other, for the church to really come to understand and to experience this great power of God. Now the second thing, we move on to the power for the church, verse 19 and to 23. Uh, I already mentioned that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know that this power for us who believe, that is the power that is available to us. Then the question that you and I may want to ask is that what does the power look like? How great is this power? What, what does Paul talk about this power? Now this incomparable great power that has been demonstrated in Christ's resurrection and exaltation. Because if you look at verse 19, uh, Paul in the second half of verse 19 said that power, referring to the incomparably great power of God, that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Now he, Paul is likening that power to the resurrection power and the exaltation power. Now, uh, what's so great about that? Later we, we come to, to see that. Huh? You may want to ask the question, what is so great? How to visualize that? How, unless the Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts to understand this, we may not be able to appreciate this resurrection power and the exaltation powers. So the lack of knowledge will affect our Christian living. Now you know atomic bomb, huh? you know how, how uh, destructive is the atomic bomb? How powerful is the atomic bomb? Uh, those of uh, many of us uh, don't live during the Second World War, we might not know. I think for students, you may have read, no? atomic bomb that dropped on the Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945 that killed 129,000 people in Nagasaki and 226,000 people in, uh, 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 no, 129,000 people in Hiroshima, 226,000 in Nagasaki. And in both cities, over 60 over percent of the building was completely destroyed. Now you just imagine an atomic bomb that dropped in KL. Huh? 60 over percent of the buildings are completely destroyed, you know, annihilated. And the, the structure, including bridges, other buildings, and 90 over percent were, were burned and uh, damaged. But 63 percent were completely destroyed. Meaning that if a bomb was dropped in Kuala Lumpur, my place or your place may be completely annihilated. But what we do not know is the hydrogen bomb. The hydrogen bomb that has been invented is 1,000 times more powerful than atomic bomb. Now I'm trying to expand your mind to understand the power of this atomic bomb and the hydrogen bomb. Now none of these bombers, no matter how powerful, that has been dropped and destroyed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. If ever there is a nuclear war, the, war, the, the world may come to an end. And now you know uh, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. And uh, if, not, if, it, if an accident happened, if a, a nuclear missile were to hit one of the NATO nations, and then it may result in uh, America involved and NATO nation involved, there will be a nuclear, nuclear war. And, and I can't imagine that. I just described to you hydrogen bomb, uh, 1,000 times more powerful than atomic bomb. And the nuclear bomb uh, also is, is far you know, destructive than the atomic bomb that was invented uh, uh, during uh, the Second World War. Now, none of these can, however powerful the bomber or whatever things that we have seen in, in the world, none can ever bring people back from life. Right, you know? Have you seen that when you die, dead, decompose already, can you, be, can you bring the person back to life? So when God promised us eternal life, huh, one day you're going to die. 
you know, in the early century context, they are burned, you know, in a, in a, a being persecuted and burned on stake, and, uh, and, and their whole bodies were burned, including their bones and everything. Can God ever bring them back to life? So here, Paul is talking about that power is like the working of his mighty strength that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, such thing has never happened before. Uh, when Jesus was raised from the dead, and he's alive forevermore. Now, we are talking about this kind of power. Now, let's look at the, the, how Paul described the incredible power of God. Eh? Let's look at uh, some of the words that he, he, he uses. Now, the reason why Paul eh, in his prayer likened the power of God to resurrection power and exaltation power is so that you and I can be strong and bold and courageous. Now, just like early century Christians, they're not afraid to die. Why, why would they be afraid to die? If God had raised Jesus on the dead, and God also promises that the redemption of our bodies, we will have our resurrection. And nothing is too big for, that God cannot do. So we can also be confident in God using us to do whatever He calls us to do. And Paul actually at the end of his letter, chapter 6, huh, you turn to chapter 6, uh, verse 10, he exhorted the church to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And the very same word that is being used. <coughs> now Paul used several words to describe the vastness of this power of God. <coughs> verse 19, you look at the word now, huh? incomparably great power. The word great power. Now I'm going to use a few Greek words to describe. Now I want to say this that you, need, you do need to, to know Greek words in order to know the Bible. Uh, you, you know the Bible uh, 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 that is in English, in your mother tongue, <coughs> sufficiently well to understand what Paul is saying. But Paul uses four different Greek words. That if you understand Greek words, then you actually can see the, the, the finer, I mean, the, the, you can see clearer and the different shades of meaning, meaning uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that in English may not be able to, to convey. Now, let me go through the first word now. The great power uh, in Greek is tall megatos. Megatos uh, is a term that describes that kind of power. Uh, in, in, in English, it has been translated as dynamic. Actually, the four Greek words, eh? all you need to understand in English is dynamic, energetic, mighty, and strong. Uh, dynamic, energetic, mighty, and strong. Now, why, why do people bother to study uh, word, eh? uh, word study in the Bible? Now, if you firmly believe that the Word of God is inerrant and fully trustworthy, the plenary meaning uh, of the scripture, meaning even words are being inspired by God. And so therefore you bother to, to study, do word study. Of course, in the original language. Huh? So, uh, the word great power, megatos, uh, the term was also used uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, the Greek Bible, uh, the translation of the Hebrew Bible. They call it the Septuagint. LXX, those who, who understand that. Uh, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 16. Now, this term, Tor Megatos, was first mentioned in the Song of Moses after the Exodus from Egypt, uh, when the people of God came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. Now, let's turn to Exodus 14. Let me turn to Exodus 14. Then later, I turn to Exodus chapter 15. Huh? If you have a Bible, let's turn to Exodus chapter 14. Okay. Now, chapter 14, in verse 7, you know, when the people of God left Egypt, they left Egypt, and then Pharaoh uh, regretted for letting them go. Then in verse 7, Exodus 14, verse 7, 
the, the words say that he, the Pharaoh took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officer over all of them. And then in verse 9, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they came by the sea. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They were so scared seeing the, the great army came, uh, uh, came marching towards them and overtook them. And verse 13, Moses answered the people, Don't be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then the following description talk about how God delivered them. Uh, asking Moses to raise his staff and then uh, over the sea and then the Red Sea will be divided and then the, the, and then the, the Israelites will walk through the dry ground and, uh, and then later on uh, the water will cover and, and drown all the, all the Egyptians' army. And then in verse 19, talk about the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them, protecting them from the Egyptian army. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. You see how God, by His might, His strength, protected the Israelites. And then in verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into a dry land. I think you can go to YouTube and see this uh. Uh, uh, people do some simulation and, and some explanation how this, the east wind uh, can turn the sea, divide two, two walls, you know, and uh, it's amazing, nothing of this sort had ever happened. And, and, and it said that the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And then verse 27, the Egyptians were fleeing towards it, towards the Israelites, and the Lord swept them into the sea, and the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. And this is what I want to show you, verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel, from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord, Paul Megatos, when they saw the great power of the Lord display against the Egyptian, and the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him. Now this word is the word that Paul used with this incredible great power that God raised Jesus from the dead. But of course, you and I, or even including the, the, the disciples like uh, Peter and John and all these early century disciples, none of them actually saw the resurrection. They only saw the evidence of the resurrection, uh, Peter and John. But they saw the appearance of the resurrected Christ appear to them, appear to 500 of them. None of them saw the resurrection of Jesus. But all the description talk about that kind of power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. Only the Holy Spirit can illuminate your mind. Because such power is for your redemption. Just as in the Old Testament, God allowed the Israelites to see firsthand, to witness the miraculous way that God used His power and turn the east wind and to blow and cause the sea to be divided and deliver them from the mighty army. And that is a type that we can interpret of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Just as they see the salvation of God in redeeming them out from the mighty hand of the, the Pharaoh from slavery, physical slavery, God raised Jesus from the dead to deliver us from the slavery to sin and to Satan for our salvation. And then in verse uh, chapter 15, and this is where 
Moses and, and his sister Marian, uh, they begin to sing. I turn your attention to verse 14. And Moses talked about the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chief of Adam will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them by the power of your arm. Paul Megatos, the word. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by. Now, Moses was singing, talking about they have already experienced God's redemption, uh, uh, causing them to cross the Red Sea. Now they are going to uh, enter the promised land. And on the way to the promised land in the wilderness, they are going to meet many, all these powerful uh, uh, tribes. Uh, nations will hear of all this story of the mighty acts of God and they will be trembling. Uh, the people of Felicia, the Adam, the leaders of Moab and the Canaan. I think that this has an implication for us as well that we experience the salvation of God through Jesus Christ, of His crucifixion and resurrection. We are going, living our Christian life. And along the way, we're going to encounter all types of circumstances, all kinds of difficulties that challenge our Christian faith, that will cause us to fall away from God. And this is where Moses is talking about by the power of God's arm, all these people will be terrified. So we should not be afraid that God not only redeem us, but He will ensure us that we will ultimately be safe in the new heaven and the new earth. In our Christian life, we will encounter many great difficulties. Now, you notice the word Tom Megatos in front, there is another word that is described and has been translated in English as incredible, uh, incomparable, uh, incomparable. English word is very easy to understand, uh, incomparably. Incomparable means nothing can compare to this power of God. Nothing that you can find in, the, in this life can ever compare to this great power of God that raised Jesus on the dead and seated Him at His right hand. Now, in other versions, they use the word exceedingly great power or the incredible great power of God. And some translations use the word excelling. Uh, whatever word you use, it just simply describes the kind of power. In Greek, it's called hyperbelon, excelling, exceeds all power. That is, the power of God is unimaginably great, surpasses all power. Uh, I, I can't, can't uh, describe more than that, really. I think this is helping our mind to grasp, uh, to understand this kind of uh, power of God. And then in second half of verse 19, <clears throat> now Paul seems to have not said enough of this unsurpassed power of God. He continues to stress even more with three more terms. Now, and the word you notice in verse uh, 19, in verse 20, which that power is like the, like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ. The power is like the working of his mighty strength. Now, the English translation, the English word, uh, loses its punch. Whereas the Greek, when you understand that, you see, uh, you appreciate more. Uh. Maybe let me try to, to help you to understand that. Uh, the word working, uh, in other translations, use the word operation or exerted is the same Greek word energia or energen. Uh, don't worry about the Greek because as I said, you don't need to really know Greek to understand. But Greek helps you to appreciate more. That word actually, it talks about the effectual working of ability, meaning that such power that is operated uh, will definitely effective. Because there are certain power that is not effective, you know. You, 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 have, you display that kind of power, the strength, uh, but you accomplish nothing. But this Greek word describes this assertion. Indeed, raise Jesus from the dead. And the word mighty strength. 
Uh, this morning, uh, I, I saw a Facebook <coughs> of, a, of a pediatrician. He's also a theologian. And he called his Alsatian, I saw the photo. He used the word Kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S. I quickly wrote to him, I said, Kratos? That's a Greek word. Means mighty. Then he quickly replied, he said, yeah, Kratos. K-R-A-T-O-S, it comes from this word. Kratos means mighty. And then the word strength, mighty, uh, verse 19, the, the word, uh, the working of his mighty strength. The word strength is uh, iskus, equivalent to dunamis, the, the power. Uh, so basically, all this put together, I think Paul is trying to pile one word after another for the uh, church in Ephesus, eh, because they know the Koine Greek. When you see someone write all this and piling together and compact it together, you cannot miss it. You cannot say, you plead ignorance. I don't know what Paul is talking about. He's piling up one word after another to show the, the strength, uh, the mighty strength of God. And here, the, the mighty strength regarded as abundantly effective for an intended purpose. That means this strength of God that is directed to accomplish something that he wanted to do and it will definitely happen and what was this god directed the strength to raise jesus on the dead and also to seat him at his right hand that is to enthrone him to enthrone him as the lord of the universe and as the king as the king of the of the universe as the king of the church such power need to be exerted to, for resurrection and also for enthronement. And later I will, I will illustrate or show you and prove to you from the following verses uh, 21 to 23. So since God's power that has been manifested in the resurrection and the exaltation in the, in the resurrection for our redemption, can we not trust God in whatever circumstances that we are facing? Now, now we move on to see the exaltation power. We have seen the resurrection power. Now we see the, uh, the exaltation power. Now, Paul in his prayer mentioned resurrection power. We have seen that with his mighty strength, incredible mighty strength. He raised Jesus on the dead, but he also seated him at his right hand. Now, Paul was quoting actually Psalms 110 verse 1, which say that the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, Psalm 110 has been used by the apostles, New Testament writers, to refer to the Messiah. Uh, the, the Messiah, uh, 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 where the Psalm... The psalmist anticipates the victorious rule of the Messiah. And the Messiah will be completely victorious over those who oppose him. And he will crush kings and judge and judge nation. And Psalms 110 verses 5 to 6 uh, talk about this. And, and it's talk about the universal dominion and rule of the Messiah. Now, so this exaltation of Jesus... Uh, at God's right hand is enthroning him as king and as lord of the universe. So who is this Jesus that is connected to the church, that he is the head of the church? He is the lord of the universe. He is the king. He is the king of kings, lord of lords. No one is greater than him. Psalms 110 attested to that and find its fulfillment in Jesus. And and he says that in verse 21, Paul began to describe the universal rule of, uh, of Jesus. That is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in, in, this, in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Now you see all this. Uh, I wouldn't have time uh, to go do a detailed study. Uh, basically, when uh, Paul said God subjected everything under Christ's feet, 
Uh, Paul was quoting in his prayer, quoting Psalms chapter 8, verse 6, where Psalms 8, 6, Paul actually applies the rule of Adam over all the creatures of the earth to the kingly reign of Christ over the whole of creation. So the first Adam ruled over all the creatures that God created, all the animals, uh, birds in the sky, those that crawl on the land and the, and the fish in the sea. The Adam, like the king, has a rule over them. Apply, Paul used Psalms 86 to apply to Jesus' kingly rule over the entire creation to see that this Lord that you and I worship and follow, He is uh, just not uh, uh, an ordinary uh, Lord. He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And so, we see Paul in his prayer alludes to the subjection. Because all these terms uh, has, a, has a, uh, uh, the kind of meaning that connotes demonic power under the, the subjection of uh, Jesus. That is, Jesus is far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. The word rule, authority, power, and dominion that Paul also used in chapter 6 and in Colossians, uh, all this uh, referring to the demonic power. Now, I can understand why Paul used this, uh, say in his prayer, praying for the church. Because in that culture, paganistic culture, in the a, in a city of Ephesus, people worship. Uh, uh, the goddess of Dinah and the goddess of Dinah is the goddess that people fear the most she, is the, she has the power above all kinds of gods and goddesses and so those uh, people, Gentiles that came out from that background becoming Christian but they are still in touch with that in their own culture and so Paul praying that they, their eyes will be illuminated to know that Jesus his power is far greater than all these, all these uh, uh, god and goddesses in the in the in their culture. Now I I don't know how many of you have ever experienced or seen the power of Christ, of Him manifested in uh, casting out demons. Have any one of you have seen leaders casting out demons? Have you all encountered? You live in this culture, you have not encountered. You need to be confident that Jesus has all authority over all the demonic forces. I remember when I first came to Kuala Lumpur to plant the church, God has really taught me several experiences in Batu Pahat when I was a pastor, uh, casting out demons. So when I came here, I actually don't go and look for demons. Uh, and people uh, call me. I remember uh, one lady called uh, 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 another woman, a sister in a Subang church saying that her husband might be suspected of demon possession uh, suspected of demon possession i move out uh, suspected of demon possession and he, and they went he, she went around asking churches to help uh, but no pastors wanted to help them so uh, uh, she asked me whether could i help so i went i brought along my two other pastors and uh, and uh, uncle senghwat who went along with me so i went to the house I told them to open their eyes. I'm going to take Bible, read the Bible verses and test. <clears throat> so that, that, that a lady's husband, who is uh, from Iceland, he was a chef and came out. The moment our eyes locked, you know, I look at his eye, he looked at me, and I saw him darting, you know, the eyes. I knew something unusual already. So immediately I used uh, Re the book of Revelation. I read that portion about Satan being thrown into the abyss. And immediately he reacted, you know, I, I knew that he was possessed already. So I told the, the, the two other pastors and sing, uh, Uncle Singh what to sing, worship. And then I command already. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you, uh, a foul spirit, leave. In the name of Jesus. I only use the word, in the name of Jesus. And then for about, I think, less than an hour, the demon left him. And he came back to his senses. And the wife was so happy. So I came back to uh, our church here and I forgot about the whole incident. And later on, news came to me that this couple, the men from, the, from Iceland, uh, went round to churches, to Pentecostal churches. He was sharing, telling people. He said, there's this pastor from the Presbyterian. 
He didn't even speak in tongue. And he was so gentle. He put his hand on his pocket and then he just prayed in the name of Jesus. And the demon left. He was sharing because the wife told him what the wife witnessed. Uh. <coughs> and he was delivered from demon. <coughs> what I want to tell you is that the power of Jesus, his authority is far above all power and dominion, authority and rule. Demonic forces combined. That's why the, the, this power and authority has been delegated to the church, to individual Christians. So you must not be afraid. I want to tell you, uh, uh, young people, when you go to hotel, when you stay in a room, you sense something quite not right, spooky. Yeah? I suggest that you pray. In the name of Jesus, I command you, evil spirit, leave this room and never to return. Go where Jesus sent you. In the name of Jesus, you don't go and don't, don't, you must invoke the authority of Christ. And so as in the, uh, the church collectively, as I say, this incredibly great power of God that has been, that raised Jesus on the dead and enthroned him as king, that this King Jesus, Lord Jesus, the Lord of the universe, his authority and power and dominion is, is far above all these demonic forces combined because God has really placed everything under his feet. And God also appointed him to be head over everything. Everything, the whole of the cosmos. He's the Lord of the universe. For the church, you look at the verse. It's, it's for us. So that we receive his delegated authority and power to engage in spiritual warfare. So when you look at Acts, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, where we're going to come to that, and the church collectively engaged in spiritual warfare. That is when Satan attacked our leaders or attacked one of us, the church must come together to pray. We need to learn to appropriate, to take hold of this spiritual power. Now, I, I, I have a lot of story because I'm older than most of you. I've been a pastor. I've been to home. I witnessed <coughs> husband and wife. Huh? Of course, I don't see everything as demon, demon uh, doing all these things. Huh? But uh, you need discernment. I have helped husband and wife. I remember in Batu Pahat, I sensed it's a demon attack their marriage. And I prayed and invoking the authority and the power of Christ to break the power of Satan over them. And then they like woke up like that and then they, 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 they uh, uh, mend back their, their marriage relationship. Of course, a lot of marriage relationship broken apart not because of demon. Nah. It's because of them. Nah. You know, the husband and wife got problem. So cannot everything also push it to Satan. But there must be leaders discerning. Collectively as a church, we may know that Satan is attacking the church or attacking the, the name of Jesus, uh, the witness of Christ in our church, or attacking individual Christians. Then we need to come together to pray. So brothers and sisters, when there's a call to prayer, the church can never be strong if we don't take it seriously. I would encourage you, young people, when there's a call to pray every month, come online and pray. Even you do not, you don't need to pray a lengthy prayer. Learn to pray, learn to articulate. There must come a time, there will come a time where you need people to pray for you. You need people to pray for you. And so, God appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. So, we need to understand that this unsurpassed power that God manifested in Christ by making him the ruling authority over heaven and earth is for the benefit of the church. <coughs> That's why in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, uh, let's turn to chapter 6 verse 18. Chapter 6 verse 18. Paul told the, uh, uh, the church to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Number one, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You see? Asking us to keep on, keep on praying for all the saints. That's for other people in the church. The church needs to come together to pray. Uh, we have the spiritual authority delegated to us. We have the spiritual power 
we have access to this spiritual power invoking the name of Christ and we can break the bondage and the power of Satan over our church or over us. So we need, we need, to, know, uh, we need to know that Paul, when he prays for the believers, he is praying for the church to apprehend uh, not just comprehend. To apprehend means to take hold of the power, this enormous and vastness of God's power for their benefit. And you and I need to do that, and the leaders need to call to gather us to learn how to pray, to, to, to see God's power manifested. And we need to know that God has really given Christ victory over the powers of darkness, and now Jesus possesses full authority over them, for the benefit of the church. So the head of the church, Jesus, is the victorious and the powerful Lord and King. Uh, in verse uh, uh, 23, he said that God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The church is his body. Jesus is our head, he's our king. He's our master. He's our Lord. We are connected to Him. And, and he, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. It, it actually describes uh, that, that Christ no longer present physically on earth. But He's everywhere. He can be everywhere. He's uh, uh, accessible to us. We don't need to go to a particular location to look for Christ. By His Spirit, we can call on Him and He can be present with us anywhere and everywhere when we engage in the mission of God. So Paul wants us, wants the believer to know that God has the ability to flip, to turn and alter things in our lives. We can see and experience the working of God's immeasurably great power in our lives. And look at how God turned the event of crucifixion around. Uh, just as a disciple of Jesus thought that you know, every, everything what they have hoped for came to nothing when Jesus was crucified. But God raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul described here in his prayer that kind of incredible great power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, enthroning him as Lord and King of the whole universe. So, church, you need to know that Christ's authority and power is far above all principality and power and might and dominion. That every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In this life, there's no one greater than Jesus. No, no one with title, authority, or power greater than Jesus. But in the age to come, when Jesus brings in his new heaven and new earth, Jesus will still be the Lord and the King of the universe. And we are his church. We are connected to him. And Christ has conquered all things, enemies of all people, Satan, sin, and death. And so personally, knowing this victorious Christ will enable you to face any trying circumstances, unusual sorrow. I'm not saying that in the name of Jesus, you know, everything you know, will change. You know? You'll become uh, uh, well from your disease, sicknesses. Sometimes God allows that to continue on but He will give you the strength to endure. You know, to, just like God gives strength to the early century to endure persecution, to even to die for Him and, and, and die in a way that is uh, not, not afraid and because they know what God has really promised them. And even they can face terrible persecution and unusual sorrow with the strength that God has given. If God does not change your circumstance, he will give you strength, His mighty strength to endure whatever bad situation that you may be in. And you will experience that of His mighty strength to hold you up. So there is no sinner that is beyond rescue. Uh, we'll come to chapter 2 with that kind of power that God can regenerate, cause a person who is spiritually dead to come alive, which is impossible. Regeneration is impossible in the human realm. But God can do that. So no sinner is beyond rescue. You can keep on praying for those people who are yet to come to know Christ, that God will regenerate them. And, and no believers that is beyond recovery, no matter how 
worse the situation will be. Let me end by saying two things. Number one, you and I, we do struggle at times with doubt whether God really involves and intervenes in our lives. Do you have doubt that whether God does intervene in your life? You look at your situation, you are still going through difficulties. And, and uh, do you believe that God can manifest His power to accomplish amazing things both in your life as individual and in the church community? Do you really believe that? Would you want to experience the power of God being manifested in our church, in your family life, in your own life? You need to come together. You need to constantly pray and seek God fervently and ask God uh, in the name of Jesus to manifest His power over uh, whatever bad things that you are facing. The scripture show us a very high view of church, huh? not only in Paul's prayer, but later as you come to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, elsewhere, you can see the high view of the church. The church is Christ's body. As we are vitally and spiritually connected to Christ, who is the head of the church, you and I have the delegated authority and power to overcome the power of evil forces. So the, the scripture has a very high view of the church. Don't ever look down on the church of God. Uh, uh, the, the scripture has a very high view. And the church, you know that church has no political clout. We don't have political clout or power in society. But do you not know that we can change events when we let the exalted Christ rule over us and direct us to do His will? Because the church has spiritual power that other organizations do not have. Because we are connected to Christ in a union with Him. We can pray that God will change the destiny of Malaysia. We can pray and keep praying and not lose heart. Because God has called us to make disciples of all nations, to preach the gospel to all nations, to baptize people in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so we can see one life change at a time. And the entire community can be changed. And finally, that God had, Jesus had been exalted to the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him head over everything for the church. And Jesus therefore can impart to the church all the empowering resources that you and I need to engage in the mission of God. <clears throat> Let me end by by repeating the story that I told uh, the church. Uh, of course, some of you are new to the church, but I like to tell this story. When the core team met in my home, uh, Elder Hanming was there, Doris was there. We have uh, 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 about close to 17 of us were meeting in my home for a period of time. We were the pioneer core team to plant the Puchong Church. So I was looking for a place and uh, 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 Deacon uh, Stephen and I went around looking for a place and finally we uh, went to the IOI adjacent to the mall. I saw the place. Actually, went to many places already. I wasn't happy and finally went to this place. I like it. I told uh, Stephen, I said, this is a good place. So we went to IOI office and I went there to negotiate with them and, and because it's a commercial building and what just started is very expensive. So uh, I asked the person, and, uh, and the person told me that actually this is a commercial building. And uh, I said, yeah, I mean, I'm uh, going to use it for the church. We're going to start some form of ministry for the, uh, to serve the community, and uh, we'll pay rent. And, uh, and, uh, and the manager said, uh, okay, no problem. So after we discussed it, we locked into a price, we agreed. Uh, it was, I think, 10000 for the two units. Uh, corner lot and the intermediate lot. So uh, we were supposed to go back and sign the contract at least. So I went. And then the following week, I went to, to sign the contract and the manager told me, he said, sorry, uh, uh, Pastor Wong, my big boss, uh, he was referring to the late Tan Sri Lee, the boss Tan Sri Lee of uh, IOI. He said, Tan Sri Lee doesn't want the church to be here. I said, why? He said, he doesn't want the church to be here. 
I said, how can you are commercial enterprise? We agreed, Daddy. I'm coming here to sign the contract. Then he told me, he said, Tan Sri's word is law. He doesn't change his word one. He doesn't change his mind. When he decided, that's it. Well, I was a little bit upset. How can a commercial enterprise a company agree, Daddy, and then change their mind? So I went back. I told the core team. We were doing Bible study. And uh, we came to the uh, chapter, Exodus chapter 34, I think. And, and, and Moses was telling God, and I say, um, God, if your presence does not go with us, we would not want to go. You know that part? And then God answered Moses, say, I will show you my glory. I was taken aback. You know, my heart, I think uh, 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 Elder Haming and Doris Poppy will still remember. We were praying and asking God to show us. And God said, I'll show you my glory. And I don't know what God is going to show His glory. Of course, the passage has to do with God leading Moses, uh, you know, the group to enter promised land. Along the way, God demonstrates His glory, His power, His might over the, the, the enemies. And so I told uh, Deacon Stephen, uh, do you know anyone? Uh, I heard that uh, Tan Sri got children, one of them is a Christian. He said, no, la, the person in charge is a daughter, Lee Yokha. I said, can you get a number? I said, can. I said, I'd like to talk to the daughter. I want to complain. So I got hold of the, 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 the phone. I called Lee Yokha, the daughter of the late Tan Sri Lee. That time, Tan Sri Lee is still alive. La. And I, I talked to her very nicely. I, I explained to her the church, what we are going to do. And, and I told her, I said, how can you all as a company, a reputable company, and uh, agree, Eddie, and then you, you don't want, of course, you, ha you have the right, la, but I said, it's not good for you to do that. Then immediately he replies, I will talk to my father on your behalf. I'll talk to my father. And later, I received a call, and Yoha said the father agreed, because she was in charge, Lee Yoha, to allow the church to be there. So the following week, I went to the office and met the manager, and the manager was taken aback and say that I, this thing has never happened in a company. Tan Sri Lee will, had never changed his mind. His word is the law. He's the authority. And of course, God used the daughter to talk to the father. I heard the daughter quarrel with the father. And the father finally acquiesced to the, the daughter's uh, uh, <coughs> uh, request. Uh, say, no, you should let the church be there. We came back. I told the story. I remember Jay was in the, in the KFC or McDonald's. She heard the news, she cried, you know. And her spirit, the spirit of God spoke to her, you know. God revealed the, the, the power of God, the glory of Christ, the glory of God. That God's or the Jesus' authority is far above any human authority, not just demonic authority. And, and so we took possession of the place, we went in. That was a mighty, mighty, Head start, you know, God indicate to Puchong Church that my presence is with you, I will show you my glory. That is the foundation upon which the Puchong Church is being built. But I sense that our spirit is very down. When we left the place, you know, some people say, I don't want to leave the place, it's sentimental. It's nothing to do with sentimentality. It's something to do with what God has deposited in us. The testimony of the power of God. That is the thing that I'm concerned about. But of course, I also believe that God led us out. You know, He has something wonderful for us. I believe that the story is not ended when we left the place. God continued to lead us. I believe that God will provide a good place for us as we continue to seek Him. Our hearts must desire to follow Jesus, to do His work. The ministry must be important in our life. The place to use whatever place that God gives to us for His ministry. The place can be good to gather people together, to do things. And so with that, I want to encourage you that as a church, we must need to come together, young and old, learn, and the younger one, hear the testimony, the story of the older one who have experienced the power of God. So that in future in your life, when you have marriage problem, when you have study problem, when you're in overseas, you're alone, and then, you know, you encounter great difficulty, you pray to God. In the name of Jesus, invoking the power of God. You experience the power of God in delivering you, in providing for you, in giving you strength to endure 
sicknesses that are incurable or whatever it may be, or even heal you of, of uh, cancer or whatever, that collective story of the church can be shared and can be told. And as we keep on praying and see God at work in CDPC Puchong, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that encourages us that such an incomparable great power of yours that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him and throned him as King and Lord of the universe, such power is available for the church to engage in mission, available for us, for our Christian living. Lord, as we learn to appropriate and take hold of this power uh, that is in Christ for us, that we can really go forward and uh, with boldness <coughs> to, to do your work that's what you have called us we worship you and praise you